You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and thanks for joining me here on this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as promised on last week's programme, we have more food and drink news and stories for you. Thanks to a visit to the recent Taste of Cavan and the Rockin' Food Festival in Enniscorthy that took place over the August bank holiday weekend. To start off, Chef Brian McDermott, MC of the Taste of Cavan Cookery Demonstrations, shares details about his latest venture, namely the Foil Hotel in his hometown, Moville, in County Donegal. Greg Devlin, Marketing Manager of Silver Hill Farm, reveals how the business started out in Virginia. Kate Dempsey introduces us to the first new meadery in a very long time. Conceal Mead Company and Wild Abouts, Fiona Faulkner explains the intricacies of the permaculture garden and how her business was established thanks to it. But before that, here's how to get in touch with me at the best possible taste. The email is s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J Noonan. Now, as I said, our programme tonight shines a light on food and drink producers in Cavan and Wexford. So who better to start off the show with than a renowned chef who champions these hardworking individuals from all across Ireland. Brian McDermott might be a Donegal native through and through, but his extensive knowledge of the food and drink industry extends to all 32 counties and beyond. I met him at Taste of Cavan recently, where he was the master of ceremonies in the demonstration area, and I spoke to him about what he's been up to. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Brian, congratulations on your latest venture. You've opened a hotel in your hometown up in the Inishowen Peninsula. Thank you, Sharon. We have. Actually, we're five and a half weeks into it now, so um, it's been good. Business has been brisk, but the area as a whole has actually improved over the last couple of months because we had the Irish Open, which was the home of the Gulf. We had the Rory McIlroy's tramping around outside and things like that, so that helped us to get off to a good start. We've had good weather. We're in a seaside town, we're in Moville, we're on that east coast of Inishon. So um, we're in that peak season and we're really, really enjoying it at the moment. Well, tell us a bit about the hotel in terms of the rooms and the restaurant, because I imagine now the restaurant is of an exquisite standard and all that wonderful produce that you have in the area that you have to use for your menus. Yeah, well, it's interesting because in our long thoughts about taking this on, um, Moville, as I said, is a seaside town. So the hotel has been closed um, for 10 years, and I'm sure there's loads of other parts of Ireland, rurally, that can relate to that. Because when a hotel closes, the heart goes out of a town, because this one takes up about a third of the main street. So when we put our name to it and we reopened it, we energised a bit of the, the town and the surrounding areas. And one thing I wanted it to be for was for the people, because I, I personally feel that a hotel is a safe zone within a community and people can wander in and out of it and feel safe. So we very much had to get back in and be part of the community. So we wanted the eating piece to be first, so we went with the word eatery, which is probably the reverse of normal hotels because um, we wanted it to be about the food and then about the bedrooms. So we've 96 seated eatery. And the minute you walk in, you're into this sort of vibrant, bright, brand new feel but also we're very sort of sympathetic to the old historical building that's been there since the 1800s. So you're, you walk straight into the, the food eatery part and then the wine bar because that's where people are at the moment in terms of trends. You know, we're not a traditional pub because there's there's so many 
other pubs in our area so we didn't want to displace them first and foremost we wanted to to bring something new and then in terms of the food it really was just a move of the type of food that I do over into a bit more of a commerciality to it and then we've 16 bedrooms and a function room for 130 seats so um, very excited I'm not going to lie um, I, we're away here today we've come away from the business for the first time in about eight weeks and I think it's that sort of Irish guilt that sets in to think why am I away from my own business but you got to put trust in a team you know we, we set out to employ local people that was a key part of this as well and um, we had 30 jobs eight of which were full-time but we actually have employed 36 people in, in the community at the moment. That's amazing and it, what you say about it being the heart a hotel being the heart of a town just even for uh, meetings school PTA all of those different things they probably really missed it and even people going in to have a cup of coffee or a scone or like meet me down the town for a meeting if you're passing through so it's great that that resource is back into the the town yeah I would agree fully with that because um, everyone is calling in and they're meeting for a cup of tea they're meeting socially or they're having business meetings and it is the scone it's almost like coming to the safe place in the environment have our meeting, have a look around with a lower spend, but we're seeing them coming back quite quickly, as quick as that day, because they're getting sort of the vibe of what we're trying to do and achieve. And you know, you can ask us what our ethos is and our model. Um, we, we're rural Donegal, Donegal people, you know, I think, anyway, I'm, I'm probably being biased, but they're, they're quite sort of mannerly, friendly, approachable people. So when we were recruiting staff, the, what we were looking for was sort of native people that had manners and had worked in hospitality plus we took on people that we wanted to train to our model as well so our model's honesty first and foremost across the board so be honest with the customer be honest put the menu up put the price up and be honest with the food in relation to how we're going to execute it and that's worked quite well because I mean simple things that goes on behind the scenes in a hotel that don't get told I mean one of our waitresses there last weekend was on her way out with four beautifully cooked local seafood dishes from Greencastle a couple kilometers down the road and she trips and she falls so naturally that food um, has fallen and they've got a potential another 20 minutes so I said look guys what's our policy it's honesty tell the customer exactly what happened because the likelihood here is that they heard that hick clattering the floor and clattering on to the you know to everywhere the people were walking and and it's amazing how those customers reacted whereas if we didn't address that through the honesty policy they'd have been getting sort of agitated that they were waiting too long and and they turned out to be repeat customers now that has come back to us so um yeah to go to go back to your, your question and, and your sort of summarization definitely we're seeing um, the community meeting and zoning together in the hotel and i don't think that's down to anything we did i think it's down to the void of a hotel being sucked out of a rural irish town so um we're back and uh, the town's back the area's back and if it's any example that we can give to people to to have encouragement to go and do it i mean it's been a, a 1.5 million investment in this project which is a lot of money and it sounds like you've got the stamp of approval from the local people but you've also got it from Georgina Campbell. Yeah, look, I, I was over the moon, I'm not going to lie. The local people are going to be there all year round. Um, we see an influx of tourists through, I mentioned the golf and the summer season and the good weather. But it's the locals are going to carry us through the hardy November or the minus fours in December. And that's been brilliant. And when you set out on a journey, you hope you get respect and accreditation from the peers uh, and also from the food critiques. And Georgina came in quite quick in the process, which was fantastic for us. And, and I mean, Georgina leaves and you think to yourself, I wonder what's going to happen next. 
you know, and there we are, and almost now six weeks into it, and last week we learned that where we are fully recommended in the Georgina Campbell Guide. And, and interestingly, she picked up as well just that there's there's a bit of honesty going on there. And, and you know, the fact that I'm in the industry 27 years, I think there's, there's trust there as well that you'll put the customer first and you'll put the produce. And you'll forget about yourself because I'm only at one of the 38 jobs, and that's the way myself, Brenda, uh, and our two girls look at it you know, like they're jobs for us securing our future but hopefully advancing a region in terms of the food message because the Georgina Campbell guide is not something that has been floating freely about the east end of Inishon. You do have a very strong brand like the Chef Brian McDermott brand is very strong and whenever you launched your book Donegal Table you had like 500 people at the book launch and that included some of the top food writers in the country, including John and Sally McKenna. Yeah, look, again, I've been proximity in East Inishon. You, you, you put on a book lunch and you just send a little email going, you know, I wonder will we get anyone up? They all jumped at it and that surprised me, you know, and they all came up um, and, and all the top writers, to be fair, had covered it. And you have to pinch yourself and say to yourself, why is this happening? You know, and, and I think, and I don't try and answer it myself, but I think it's happening. And again, I'm going to keep coming back to that word in terms of honesty, because because I've been on a journey that's, let's let's face it, started as a chef in training, started within lecture, and then sort of nearly ended with heart attacks, and then you rebuilt yourself. So it was like people could see that you were rebuilding yourself back, and all I knew to do was hospitality, cooking, and catering. So getting back and then making the big bold step of a book, you know, and launching it, and, and 500 people in, in an area that has a population of 1,300 and something was amazing for us. It gave us that real confidence piece and when we were doing the book we knew the hotel project was happening even though we hadn't announced it but what I would say is there's no guarantees in life and the strength of wherever that brand is positioned nationally, you know, nationally or regionally at the moment through the work that I do transferring it isn't a guarantee that you're going to be successful because life doesn't have guarantees and how many people you're going to get through your door but the level of business that we've experienced at the Foyle Hotel now is, is, is two and a half times above the projected level that we thought we'd be at. You talked during your demonstration earlier on about having the heart issues, like serious heart issues at a very young age, and how you addressed that to move on from it. You talked about Nevin Maguire ringing you and really pumping you up. Um, your cooking then is like you don't use any salt in your cooking. Yeah, I, I suppose when it happened to me, um, a typical meal, and I think this will resonate with a lot of people, is you know, you think, why that happened to me? There's almost a wee bit of anger within you. Um, and it took me a long time to be comfortable even speaking about it. And then I realised that there's a little bit of therapy within this in talking to others about it. I also realised as typical Irish, a lot of people will moan about their health. So I, I was careful, I didn't want to be sound like I'm moaning, but if somebody engaged in a conversation, I tried to always pitch it based on my experience, that it wouldn't happen to them. So I've carried that across now into my cooking, into my demonstration. So I suppose I've reduced salt, um, because was it to blame? Absolutely not. Was it a contributor? Potentially. You know, the stress could have been life in general. Maybe, maybe my attitude to life and where now, you know, I, I look at everything very, very different. I think one of my one of my key strengths is resilience. You know, if something happens, I'm, I'm quite famous within family stuff for saying, well, we are where we are. 
you know, in other words, it's a fact, it's happened, like, can we move on? Um, and, and in serious cardiac issues, I mean, unfortunately, it's too common amongst the hospitality industry in general. So I think if anything that I can change at the moment, it's not teaching people dramatic cooking skills. It's just their, their, their health and their attitude towards food and how it can give back. As much as we're taken from the food, it can give back in terms of fuel, in terms of your mood, and how you can create a social scene on a Saturday night and go, you know, that we can go into a very sort of positive mood amongst family and amongst friends and so on. You made two fabulous dishes earlier, and one of them was an orzo pasta dish, and you were saying about you don't need to put oil into the, the boiling water, which I thought was very interesting, and you don't put salt into it either. No, I mean, there's a couple of myths that I think are floating around in Irish cooking. Um, one of them is, you know, pasta. We think, oh, Italians, we should be using potatoes. No, we can make pasta. It's three ingredients. So orzo pasta is small, sort of maybe three times the size of a grain of rice. Very easy to get. Um, I love it because it doesn't feel like you're eating loads of carbohydrates and when you run out of sauce or pesto in your pasta, you feel quite sort of gloopy, if that makes sense to be the word I use. So orzo pasta works really, really well in that respect and it absorbs in loads of flavor. But when you're cooking it and the point that you're making is, you know, we all grew up thinking you've got to put oil into the water to stop the pasta cooking. Put oil into water and it floats on top. You know, the Italians will tell you, you drain your pasta, then you put in your oil, and that stops it from cooking. So I always put that out there, and you can see like 90% of that audience today sort of went, ah, okay, I get that now. And even the salt, if you look at the dish that I did, I finished it off with some bacon, dry cured bacon, which has a natural bit of salt in there. So why would I add more salt into it? And then I tried to increase the other taste bud factors that we spoke about in the demonstration, you know, our sweet, sour, and our bitter and salt. It's a balance of all of them that makes a reasonably um, decent dish taste very good. And the book has gone extremely well for you. You've gone to a second print. Yeah, I mean, I'm very happy with that. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, again, I'll go back. There's no, there's no guarantees in life. And when a publisher approaches you in the size and the scale of O'Brien Press, you think to yourself, God, I've got to deliver here. You know, and, and I feel we did deliver as a family and we delivered as a successful launch. And, you know, so many books get printed. And then you think, will we ever get to a second print run? And, and the day you get that phone call to say there's going to a second print run, you know then you're into sales of around 6,000 books. And you tend to think to yourself, that's quite good because, you know, I titled the book Donegal Table because I wanted it to be about the region that I'm from, that I grew up on, that reared us, and that we continue to employ people in. Um, and, I mean, look, there's something else happening now with the secondary book as a result of the success of the first one and we're only six months after the launch. I still feel it's a really new book. I mean, we're here in Cavan at the moment um, and immediately after the demonstration you have a new audience. So you're selling a new book and they're buying in because they're a border county as well. So they can almost resemble what's going on in Donegal to what's going on in Cavan. And that's the thing about it. If I'm promoting my milkman, everybody's got a milkman, you know, and you've got to do that and the same with a butcher. Well, you're no stranger to Cavan and the food festival here. You've been a number of years. What is so special about Cavan and the food producers and the ingredients that they have in this area? I think I think with Cavan, um, I've been involved since the very start in terms of this food festival, and I saw it grow. But I think the key difference of Cavan Festival to other festivals is the council participation in it um, and funding. Let's just put it out there because um, for me, and you to take this on for a Pacific region. This is a business in some sense to try and make it work. And who takes the risk? You know, Cavan County Council took the risk. But when you think about it, and I've never said this to them, but they had some 
aces up their sleeves because they've never been a buyer. And think about that for a second. Huge draw. Every festival yeah. in Ireland would love Nevin Maguire. I mean, I had him in an Ishon for an agriculture show this week. 2,000 extra people that was normally at that festival attended because of Nevin Maguire. So I think Cavan County Council must have sat in a boardroom someday and said to themselves, do you know what, we have got the king here and let's do this. And it was built around Nevin and then it was built, look at Cavan now and look at the Shane Smith, look at the Garode Lynches, you know, look at the guys that has come out of Cavan. They're, they're probably the pocket in the country that has the strongest high profile elements of chefs. So that's why it works. What, what makes the producers any different? Um, in terms of the food, you know, it's probably a similarity to other parts and other regions, and this is me being honest, but again, it's the people. They're not in your face. They're not pushing it, they're not forcing it. They're just lovely, genuine people who has a story to tell, you know, and they're telling it in a very modest way. And when first time five years ago, they got a platform to come together as a region and to do this was at the Taste of Cavan. So I know companies out there, Sharon, that. Uh, four years ago in particular were quite nervous it was their first festival and one of them I spoke to on stage you know more than 10 minutes ago and they now employ five people now we might say that that's not a lot of jobs it is because the owner has got themselves a job and now they've got four others working and that's gone on about five or six times out there in the auditorium today so you walk past and you smile and you think well done Calvin that, that that's a region you know that that has lifted gel together strengthened themselves into a region that is now shortlisted for for foodie town 2018 well i've been blown away by the quality of the producers here and the friendliness and you know obviously the the demo lineup and everything's been amazing it's been brilliant to talk to you because I was dying to talk to you just to find out a bit more about the hotel and wish you all the best with it and obviously to Brenda and the two girls Aoife and Neve as well a real family affair and you deserve every success in the world thank you so much you're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan sponsored by the taste.ie voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Chef Brian McDermott tempted us to Moville in County Donegal to visit his newly opened hotel, The Foyle Hotel. And may I reiterate my best wishes to Brian and his family on their latest venture. If you missed that and you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now, still to come tonight, we return to County Wexford for the Rockin' Food Festival in Enniscorthy to meet Fiona. Faulkner from Wild About. But before that, let's hear from two producers that were selling their wares at the recent Taste of Cavan. First of all, Greg Devlin from Silver Hill Farm and Kate Dempsey from Conceal Mead. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Greg, whenever I think about Cavan, duck is one of the main products that comes to mind and you're the marketing manager with Silver Hill Farm. Tell us a bit about the company background. Yeah, so Silver Hill Farm is established in 1962 by the Steele family. Still family owned. We're based in Emmydale in County Monaghan, but there is a Cavan connection, as you said. Um, Lila Steele, so the original owner, is actually from Virginia in County Cavan. So Lila and Ronnie both started off with six ducks in Emmydale in County Monaghan. And that is growing now today to, we're producing around 80,000 a week 
and we're exporting to around 30 countries around the world. So um, a very uh, from, from, from small places to very large volumes very quickly. That's a lot of ducks. It is a lot of ducks, yeah. Um, I suppose we're lucky in respect to our sustainability kind of plays into um, our innovation. We found a market for every single part of the duck. Um, so our, our premium product is head-on duck. Um, we're 70% export-led, like I said. So our first market was the UK market. So every Chinatown you see in the UK, Birmingham, Manchester, London, the ducks in the window are Silver Hill ducks. Um, that's where we made our name. So the famous London duck is our Silver Hill duck. And based on that success, we actually got queries in from Singapore, Hong Kong, and Macau, and that's where we're kind of that's where we see our future growth and our strategy would be very much Asia-based. Also, in terms of the Irish consumption of duck, is it minimal? No, not at all. We have a very strong presence in retail, so we're in all the major retailers: Little Aldi, Super Value, Centra, Tesco, and Duns. Um, and then food service also, obviously, we'd be operating through the main food service distributors. And chefs just love the product. I mean, quality is the cornerstone of our business. We don't compromise quality in any respect. Um, so we have a very fatty bird, and that um, enhances the flavour profile. And that's why chefs in Ireland love working with the product. And it's very interesting what you say about every single part of the duck is used, it's sold. So feathers, for example, are they're used for pillows? Absolutely. So Mr. Steele, back in the 70s, um, had this idea of, he thought there was value in the feathers. So we commissioned a German company to construct a feather plant, which is on site now, um, beside our processing plant. So we, I suppose, premium duck down duvets and pillows. We use them in four and five star hotels across Ireland and the UK. And we also sell them as raw feather. So they end up with Polish distributors and they end up in catwalks and kind of different fashion shows as well. So um, a very useful resource also. And what about the feet? Do they go out to Asian countries? They absolutely do. Um, the feet are a delicacy in Asian countries. And as well as that, it's actually used in the pet food industry in Ireland. So there's high demand at that at the minute. Um, so we've loads of queries coming in about, like I said, different part of the ducks. We're getting quite a good price for the offal at the minute because of the demand. The fact that every single part of the animal is used must have a very positive impact on your sustainability and your waste management. Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, we'd be a pioneer of sustainability in Silverhill. We're one of the founding members of Board B as Origin Green. So that's always to the forefront of our business. We're always looking at ways on how to innovate and minimise our sustainability. And that will be to the core as we ramp up our operations. So we're very much maxed out capacity-wise and we're looking at constructing a new plant to deal with the increased demand both at home and abroad. And sustainability will be to the forefront of that. And Origin Green is Ireland's national sustainability programme and I believe it was the first one in the world, if not the only one in the world. It is indeed, yeah. So it's something we should be very proud of. Ireland has this very green image and they call the, the sustainability programme, they have a contract with nature. And that's the way we look at it as well. We have an obligation to hand the environment over in a better place that we got it. So it's something we'll continue with in our business. And it covers lots of different aspects of the business. So in terms of electricity, for example, that's included in it as well. Like there's a lot of paperwork that has to be done there, but it saves the company money in the long run. And it is about protecting the environment. Absolutely. And to be fair to Origin Green and to Board Bia, Basically what they've did is provide a platform to give companies a much more structured approach to the sustainability. So as you've said, it looks at everything from energy consumption to water usage to even your corporate social responsibility um, and how you act within the community in terms of sponsorship and what initiatives you can do for charity. So it's a very, very good platform.
Fantastic. Well, congratulations on that. It's such a success story. I mean, 80,000 ducks. I just can't even imagine it. So great to talk to you. Thanks for telling me about it. Not at all. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Kate, tell me a bit about Conceal Meat Company. It's a very new business that you have. That's right, yeah. We we started there um, last year, really. We put the floor down in the meadery in February last year, then brought in the uh, equipment, and then we started doing our first batches, and our first bottle was out in September last year, so we're very new. It's a very historical drink in Ireland, mead. Tell me a bit about the history of it. Yes, a, a mead has been um, made in Ireland for centuries. Actually, it's been part of the, the society, the political and the social society for a long time. Um, so the, the Hill of Tara, for example, has the great mead hall where the high kings used to meet and drink a lot of mead. And it is a fermented drink, so does that mean it's good for you? <laughs> That's right. It's fermented from honey and water, and, and a nice glass of mead would be as good for you as a nice glass of red wine. You have three different varieties there. Tell me about each of those. Yeah, we have the Atlantic Dry Mead, which is uh, traditional styles made from Spanish orange blossom honey. And then we ferment it just off dry, so you get the flavour of the nectar that the bee has foraged. Uh, and then we have the uh, Wild Red Mead, which is made from gorgeous wets for black currants. And then we balance that tartness with um, sweetness from dark cherries and a Spanish honey under that. That's, they're both 12% alcohol, so wine strength. And then our new one is the Hazy Summer, which is made from all the summer berries, uh, and that's slightly lighter, 11%. Well, it's really bizarre that you mention Wexford there, because a few weekends ago, the August Bank Holiday weekend, in fact, I was down at the Rockin' Food Festival in Enniscorthy, and I was at this fabulous long table banquet in the castle there, and we went up onto the roof for dessert and cheese and chocolate and we had the concealed mead the one that has the wexford berries in it that's right yes uh, the wild red mead yeah oh gosh it goes really well with the cheeses and chocolate in particular dark chocolate and wild red mead is absolutely fabulous so in an era where there's a lot of um, craft beers popping up and gins what inspired you to go down the mead road well, mead, um, like I say, has got a huge history in Ireland, but there was none being made, none being fermented in Ireland. So we just said we would uh, we'd just bring it back, bring it back into the 21st century, but make it light and refreshing, not, not, not sweet and cloying. I think a lot of people think it's going to be really sweet because it's made from honey, but we ferment nearly all the sugars out, so it's lovely and refreshing. And what were you doing before you started the company? Well, it's myself and my husband. Uh, we were both uh, working kind of in techie industries, so, yeah no background in food and drink ah oh, well now we've always um, done a lot of cooking ourselves we, we did grew our own food and things so uh, you've always got that that kind of experimentation with flavors going on there yeah and i'm a poet as well which is kind of i, I never thought it'd be used to, useful for making meat but all the wording on the bottles you have to get that exactly right and to fit on the on the back of the bottle so the poetry's actually worked more than i thought it would wow that's fantastic and you have yeah. some lovely imagery around the place showing the different parts of Ireland and Mead's association with them and of course the All-Ireland Hurling finals coming up and I'm delighted that Limerick is in it and there is a connection there with the McCarthy Cup. That's right, the McCarthy Cup we, we, we found out recently is in the shape of a metha which is a traditional mead drinking festival which originally would have made out of a single piece of wood and they'd have uh, shared the mead around the table in a, a metha, a four-handled cup with four lips. Um, so it would be great now after the Liam McCarthy Cup when a uh, Limerick win, it will be full of mead. 
If people want to find out more about Kinsale Mead and where to get it, where's the best place for them to go? Well, we have our website, which is the www.kinsalemead.co.ie, or of course we're on social media with the same handle. Fantastic. And listen, best of luck with the show today. Thanks. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks a lot. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard about the history of the well-established Silver Hill Farm and start-up business that can seal meat company and Kate was obviously sending good vibes to Limerick when she mentioned the McCarthy Cup because as we all know they did indeed win the All-Ireland Hurling Championship. Earlier in the programme, Chef Brian McDermott tempted us to Moville in County Donegal to visit his newly opened hotel, the Foyle Hotel. And if you're just tuning in now and you missed any of that, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website. Now, our final interview this evening takes us back to the Rockin' Food Festival in Enniscorthy, where Fiona Falconer from Wild About had set up shop to sell her range of products. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Fiona, Wild About, fantastic branding, great colours there. Tell us what products you do. Well, Wild About is about the ethos behind the company. We have a small organic permaculture farm in up the road in County Wexford where we grow all our ingredients for our products. Uh, we're an ethical and sustainable business and our whole uh, premise is to get people to think about how their food is grown, where it comes from, by providing really, really tasty foods. So we grow all our ingredients, we work seasonally, we don't import, we only use what we grow and what we source locally around us. Um, and we specialise in native wild ingredients. We're actually Ireland's first commercial nettle farm. Much to the ridicule of my farming community, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, Fiona, is it hard to grow nettles? Well, there's a bit of feckin' science to it, yeah. So we grow um, nettles in polytunnels. We also do rose hips, sloes, elderberries, meadow sweet, honeysuckle. These are all ingredients that are freely available to everybody. They grow in every hedge in the country. And if you engage with your food, you engage with the environment and that's what we have to do. So that's kind of where we're coming from as a business. So those ingredients, you turn them into chutneys, pestos, what else do Yeah, you like? we do. Our nettles are our best seller, believe it or not, and that was quite an eye-opener because we, we've done a lot of markets since we started and uh, we started going, we got into Food Academy in the Super Value Food Academy and uh, Super Value said to us, you can forget the nettles, Fiona, because they're not going to fly with our customers. And I'm saying, give it a try because I know they will. They outsell everything we do by about eight to one. And is that a nettle pesto? We do a raw nettle pesto. So you're actually getting the, the full benefit of the nettle. Now, nettles are incredible. My background is I was a documentary film producer way back in the day over in London. So factual information is really important to me. So when I started looking at the wild native ingredients, I started reading clinical trials and cross-correlating them and seeing what was there. And when I hit on 
nettles. My jaw hit the ground. There is so much information there. They reduce blood pressure, they clear the uric acid from your kidneys, they lower the glycemic index, they lower cholesterol, they're packed with polyphenols, antioxidants, so they detoxify and especially in our modern world where we're taking so much toxins in just from our skin, from medication, we don't have the diet to, to expel all those toxins. We don't have the raw food diet that they would have had in the war years or such. So having the extra benefit of natural, natively wild ingredients helps that process. So we try and keep everything as raw as possible. Um, so we do a raw nettle pesto, we do a nettle syrup, and even with our processed foods, we only preserve for a year, because our ethos is, do you know what? It's all gonna grow again next year. So why load the sugar in to get three to seven years? We should eat food in the year that it's grown. So that's the way we work. So you're getting the benefit. And what I find from my customers is, the, the feedback is you actually eat less because you savour it more because there isn't a mask of sugar, you know, just dousing down where you're putting the spoon in while you're trying to chew one. You savour the flavour because it unfurls on your palate, so you savour it more and you eat less. You must tell me how somebody goes from being a documentary maker <laughs> in London or in England to being in Wexford and growing nettles and turning them into award-winning pestos. Well, it was it was it was a life-changing moment. I I we had my husband's a product design engineer. He used to make uh, R and D for medical products, Bristol Myers Squibb. I ran a production company. As I said, we had loads of money. We had a big house. We had two nannies, minding the kids. I never saw my family. I was gone at six in the morning. Sometimes I wasn't home till 10 or 11 at night. I was traveling the whole time. And at weekends I was spending stupid money pretending I had a life. And it wasn't the way I wanted to do things. And actually I came home one night and I couldn't find parking in my area. And I literally broke down in tears and said, I can't do this anymore. I went in, I spoke to my husband. That weekend we took out a map of Ireland. We stuck a pin in it because I came from Dublin originally, from Donegal in Dublin. Um, but my family are everywhere, so it doesn't really matter. And I've lived all over the world where we went to. It landed in Gory. I had no connection to Gory. We threw the kids in the back of the car, got the ferry across, and our premise was to buy the most amount of land for the least amount of money. And we bought a five-acre field. Um, we then put in process the moving across. We built a passive house, because um, both of us would always have been quite keen ecologists. Um, but once you start the ripple, it just starts to go with it. So we built the house. I kept working for the company until um, only five, five or six years ago. Uh, I put, the kids were one, three and five when we moved. And they'd moved from, hello, mummy, central London, to the, the backside of nowhere in Wexford. I mean, there really was nothing around. So we put half an acre aside, a forage forest, and we planted, we did a lot of heritage seeds. There's pears, apple, plums, cherries, there's raspberries, strawberries, there's red, black and white currants. There's all the fruits. We went mad with the planting. But about four or five years in, we got the mother of all harvests and we suddenly thought, what are we going to do with all this stuff? <laughs> so we started making jams and chutneys and just giving them away. And, but people kept coming back. So then we thought, you know, this might have legs. So we started doing a market stall and Wild About was born and we've never stopped. And you haven't looked back? No, and we've been really lucky because we're tiny. We're, we're, everything we make is comes off the farm. It literally comes out of the ground, into the kitchen and into a pot. So there, there, there's no air miles driving or road miles driving it around the place. 
the quality is really good. We've won all the awards. We've just won six more Great Taste Awards there on Wednesday. So we've 19 Great Taste Awards. We've Blossom Hair and Gold, Blossom Hair and Silver, Good Food Ireland Producer of the Year, All Ireland Farmers Market Champions. But we're small and we're operating in a structurally weak rural area. And that again is part of what we do. Permaculture is organics, it's, 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 but it goes a little bit further. You can fly organic mint from Israel. What's that about? Permaculture is very much about local economy, about heritage, about tradition, about looking after your immediate environment and those around you. For us, the, 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 the raison d'etre is not money. You know, there's an ethos behind the company and I want things, people to change the way they think about their food. And I, it is happening and we're riding that wave with them. So, you know, that's where the, the awards and things come in. But we're the same size as when we started. We can only make so much because we can only grow so much. And what challenges have you faced along the way that have really kind of made you sit up and say, OK, we need to be maybe more strategic about what we do? I think for me, because I had no connection to the food industry, it was a huge learning curve for me. Um, and I think what I've learned out of it is just plough your own furrow. You know, there's everyone saying, oh, your stuff is really popular. You need to expand. You need to get uh, go to industrial park. You know, go up to Arklow where the logistics are better. Move to Dublin where you can get into the market up there. And I go, if I produce, I want to employ people in the structurally weak rural area where I live. And I actually don't see a problem with having micro enterprises dotted throughout our rural countryside. The, the focus here for the enterprise but all seems to be get bigger. Get bigger, employ more, get bigger, employ more. I understand that principle, but there's there's a lot of ground in saying, look, I have a valid, sustainable business. And that's where I'm going with it. And where do you see it going, say, in 10 years? Is it just the same as it is, still enjoying it? Well, it's building the brand. For me, the brand has to represent. Wild About represents what we do. And my whole I want people to think that if they see the Wild About brand, it doesn't matter what they pick up, they're going to get the quality that they want and they're buying into the ethos behind it. Longer term, I, I mean, I do some, um, I, I do some, I have kids down, some school kids, I bring them down on the farm and we go through the wild stuff. We make nettle, uh, pesto, or we'll, we'll, we'll do um, wild garlic, uh, uh, bread and, and all that sort of stuff. And just the joy I get from seeing their little face. I mean, these are like second and third class up in the national school. I said, Janie Mac, sure you can get your whole dinner from the ditch. And that's what it's about. It's getting into their head that connection between where their food comes from and caring about it. You know, picking blackberries, I don't know, I grew up in the 70s in Dublin and this was really interesting because um, I remember the first supermarket opened up, Lipton's at the top of our road, but at that time everyone had a little market garden in their back garden. Everyone grew some tomatoes or, or cucumbers or courgettes or something like that, that they had the connection. And as the supermarkets grew, we went like sheep down the aisles. They told us when to eat, how to eat, what to eat, to the point when I started doing this, people would say, oh, can I, can I, can I put this on like toast? And you go, sweetheart, you can spread it on your body if you want to. You're in charge of what you put in your mouth. Exactly. Now, things have changed a lot, and I find now children are the first ones up because you, selling nettles isn't an easy sell, as you can imagine. You go, would you like to try some nettles? And they're going, hmm kids are the first one up there like little sparrows with their mouth open going yeah yeah I'll try it and I love that because they're the future they're the ones who can change things you know
They certainly are. Well, listen, it was lovely to talk to you. Thank better you. let you get back to your stall because yeah. you're okay. going to have a very busy day. Hopefully. Uh, if people want to find out more about Wild About, you said you're in Super Value. Where We're else? in Super Value in Wexford, um, Wicklow mm. and Dublin, uh, the big moppy stores. www.wildabout.ie. That's the website. It's got all the products, all the details about us and us. We trade at the People's Park in Dunleary every Sunday. That's our normal market. That's on Tentel for every Sunday. And you're out and about. You go to the Dingle Food Festival. Love bit of dingle. We do Savor Kilkenny. Um, yeah, we do the bigger shows around around the place. But because it's only us, it's we're not on on every shelf in every store, and we're not at every festival because we just can't facilitate it. Sure. Listen, have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you so much for okay. your time. Thank you. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Great to talk to Fiona and, of course, the Dingle Food Festival and Blossom Erin Awards are just around the corner, i.e. the first weekend in October. And we'll have news on both of those in the coming weeks. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks to this evening's guests, Brian McDermott, Greg Devlin, Kate Dempsey and Fiona Faulkner. Thanks to you for listening and don't forget to get in touch with your food and drink news, recipes and events by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie. Next week, I'll be back with more food and drink news. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit. <laughs>